Hey, welcome to the Bible and Life Podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am so glad that you're joining me on this show. If it's your first time listening, a special welcome to you. Thanks for being here. And if you're a regular listener, thanks for just being a part of the Bible and Life family. And I want to extend a special thank you to those of you who share this podcast with your friends, either by means of social media or just word of mouth. That is the best way to let people know that the Bible and Life podcast is available and that there is this platform for learning the Bible together with me. So thanks to all of you for being here and for being a part of this episode. We are going to start a new series today on the podcast, really that grew out of a question I asked on social media a couple weeks ago about people's difficulties with the Bible and some of the ways in which the Bible was just challenging to them. And the fact is, is if we're honest, we need to we need to acknowledge that, right? Like people say, oh, read the Bible, it'll change your life. And that's true. Um, people who read the Bible at least four days a week see significant transformation in their life. Loneliness, depression, porn usage, uh, anger issues, all those things are radically changed in a positive sort of way by engaging with the Bible at least four days a week. So it's true on one hand that if you read the Bible, it'll change your life. But on the other hand, the Bible has some pretty strange stuff in it, doesn't it? Like just right from the beginning, you think of like Genesis chapter 5, you're just a couple pages into the Bible, and all of a sudden you just have this massive list of so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so and lived so many years, and then he died, and, and it just keeps going on. So-and-so gave birth to so-and-so and lived so many years and had other sons and daughters, and he died, and you get just this weird list of really just a genealogy, and you think, oh, well, that's just the Old Testament, Old Testament, like that New Testament, so much better. Okay, fine, flip over to the New Testament, and the very first page of the New Testament is the exact same stuff, a genealogy, a list of all these names and who gave birth to whom and, and all of that. Weird stuff, right? Or think about just some of the strange literature in the Bible. For example, the book of Revelation that some people really enjoy, uh, other people just find odd, and most people find it difficult to understand. And you got weird imagery inside the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. you got beasts with seven heads and a woman riding on it. What's that? And dragons and all sorts of crazy stuff in the book of Revelation that's like, well, what is that even about? And what's that doing in the Bible? Or you have things like 1 Samuel chapter 15, where it's, God gives us command to destroy all the Amalekites. And it's like, whoa, hold on there. Who are the Amalekites and why is God wanting to destroy them? I thought God was a loving God. And now he's commanding them to destroy the Amalekites. And, and so a couple weeks ago on social media, I just asked people, well, what challenges or difficulties have you faced when you're reading and trying to understand the Bible? And if we're honest, Though the Bible on one hand will change people's life, if we're honest, on the other hand, it's got some pretty weird, pretty strange, pretty confusing stuff in it too. And so what I want to do in this new series is I want us to begin just thinking about some of those challenges and some of those difficulties in the Bible to really understanding. Let's just be honest with that and let's try to figure some of that stuff out. And so today I just want to talk in general about some things that make the Bible difficult that people brought up on social media and how we interact with that. Then next week I'm going to deal specifically with God's command, particularly to destroy all the Canaanites when he was uh, giving Israel the promised land. How do we understand that? And that's difficult. And then lastly, we're going to deal with 
uh, some kind of issues of like all the rituals and rules in the Old Testament and uh, some things related to that. And so just some categories of difficulties that people have brought up. And so today on this episode, we need to acknowledge one of the first things that makes the Bible hard to understand and that is challenging to us when reading it is just the general foreignness of the Bible. That reading the Bible is like traveling to a foreign country, and that makes it difficult sometimes to totally understand what's going on, just like when you travel to a foreign country. And that's because the Bible is, yes, it's written for us, but it's not originally written to us or about us. It's written to an original audience and about their issues, their questions, their difficulties, their life in their world. And so the Bible is, is written for us, but it's not written to us or about us. I deal with that in much greater detail than we can on this podcast in my Learn the Word course that's available on my website. And if you're interested, you could check that out on my website. And so I have a whole course about how to really read the Bible and the foreignness of the Bible, how to understand the Bible, a whole a Bible survey unit within that. So a lot of detail on my Learn the, Learn the Word course. You can check that out at johnwhitaker.net slash courses. Um, just go to my website. I'll have the link to that down below. But I want to deal with that at least in some degree here on this episode. And so let's just talk about the general foreignness of the Bible. And, and what that means is if we're going to really read the Bible well and actually understand what God is saying to us, we, to some degree or another, have to understand the original context. Um, and original context includes things like culture or geography or politics or language, those kinds of things that just shape what we're talking about in the Bible and how we're talking about that. For example, culture. Well, culture deals with things like clothing and money and customs and all those things show up in the Bible where clothing makes a certain difference in certain contexts or um Customs, you know, you have, for example, in the Gospels, this woman who comes to Jesus and she lets her hair down and she cries all Jesus' feet and it's offensive to the people that Jesus is eating dinner with. And why is that? Well, that has to do with culture and customs and some of the things probably going on in that story that the original audience saw and felt and assumed, but we don't. Or money, what's a denarius or what's a shekel in the Old Testament? How do we understand these denominations of money? Because sometimes... The whole point of, say, a parable of Jesus hinges on that denomination of money. So we got to understand some things about money and all that. So culture, right? Like there's just cultural assumptions, cultural customs that seem odd to us, but made perfect sense to them. They were just part of life. Even, even for example, one of the difficulties in the Bible for a lot of people is the way it handles slavery. And yet slavery was just so everywhere present in the ancient world and it was very different from the American experience of slavery that if we're going to understand what the text is actually dealing with, we, we have to recognize it was just part of life. Like in the Roman Empire alone during the days of the New Testament, anywhere from about 20 to 25 percent of the total population of the empire at any given time could have been a slave. Um, and then you had people who used to be slaves but aren't slaves. And slavery in the ancient world was more of an equal opportunity venture. Anybody could be a slave. It wasn't a uh, just a racial thing for one particular race, like in the American experience. And so the, the Old Testament 
actually has laws regulating slavery so that they could be treated in some regards much more humanely than in other parts of the world of that day. And so customs that just seem like totally out of place to us, but made perfect sense in their world. And then the Bible tries to interact with those customs in a way that uh, brings some I don't know, uh, wisdom from God, some meaning, some things like that. So culture, that's just part of the original context that makes the Bible feel foreign. Or geography. When I taught Acts at the Bible college every year, I'd have them read through the whole book of uh, Acts in just a couple days, and then I would ask them to answer three questions, one of which was, what would, be, what would have been helpful to understanding what you were reading? Every year, a good percentage of students would say, man, if I just knew where all these places were, if I just knew the map, if I just knew the geography, and the geography is really important. Where are all these places? Why do they matter? Or in the Old Testament, right, 1 Samuel 17, familiar story of David and Goliath. Where's the Valley of Elah? Why have a battle there? Is that a big deal, right? Like geography, all that stuff affects our reading of it. Politics is part of culture, like nations, rulers, foreign relations. All of that affects, you know, how we understand the text of Scripture. And so culture, man, and politics, and all this stuff about the original context, the more we can understand that, the more the Bible becomes three-dimensional, pops off the page, more issues that seem confusing to us make sense to us, so we have to understand that. Original context even affects matters of language. Obviously, when we're reading um, our Bibles, we're reading a translation of ancient Greek, ancient Hebrew, and Aramaic, right? And so we 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 and just translation issues, that can affect it, right? We're doing the best we can to try to get what was said in an original language to a now a contemporary language. And so some of it is just translation issues when we say language, get that. But even just some of the way language is used and some of the things meant by certain um, uh, figures of speech or certain idioms, I mean, those are language issues and those show up in the Bible. And so people say, oh, we should read the Bible literally. Well, really? Literally? Well, no, you don't. You don't always read the Bible literally. You read the Bible to understand what the author meant by what he said. Um, and that there's figures of speech in the Bible that, you know, some of which are kind of funny even. Like when you read, for example, the love poems in Song of Solomon, and some of the compliments in there are just kind of odd. When the guy tells the gal that her neck is like the Tower of David, I'm guessing if you gave... Um, your, you know, your wife or your girlfriend, that is a compliment, wouldn't go over so well. And the woman gives the guy the compliment, um, your legs are like pillars of alabaster. And all I'm picturing is giant, round, kind of milky white things. It's like, do I want that as a compliment, right? So that's a figure of speech. Some of them are kind of humorous. There's other ones where um, God compares himself to like a, a eagle that has wings and protects his people. What, what is that? And so we don't read the Bible literally. We've got to recognize the, the figure, figurative speech or think of idioms. For example, in the English language, we'll say something like, it's raining cats and dogs. Do we mean that literally? No. And no one even begins to think about it when, when we say that. Why? Because everyone just knows what we mean, that it's raining super hard. It's not literally falling, you know, cats and dogs aren't literally falling out of the sky, just raining super hard. That's what that idiom means. 
And you have some of that in the Bible. In fact, next week we're going to talk about the destruction, God's command to destroy the Canaanites and the invasion of the land of Canaan. And guess what? Ancient Near Eastern war idioms show up in that text um, and in those commands. And so we have to recognize that, that sometimes there's just idiomatic language that shouldn't be taken literally when we read the text of Scripture. Um, some of this is just various types of literature, genres, types of literatures. You have poetry. The Psalms is a, is a collection of poetry. Poetry is notorious, whether it, ancient Hebrew poetry in the Bible, modern poetry. Poetry just uses figures of speech. It's trying to use language to ev evoke certain emotions and have a certain impact, and it does that with word pictures, right? Apocalyptic literature, like the Book of Revelation. That's uh, Book of Revelation is a well-known type of literature from the Jewish context, really from a few hundred years before the time of Jesus and for a hundred or so years after the time of Jesus, apocalyptic literature flourished. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature, uh, one of its major characteristics is uh, broad usage of kind of way out, far out symbolic language. In fact, the book of Revelation even tells us that right at the very beginning, John is writing, he says, and the translation's free it up, but they say he's going to write and he's going to communicate to us what the angel showed him. And he uses um, he uses really the idea of like sign language. In the gospel, John talks about signs. Jesus did many other signs. Well, here we have the verb of that word for sign. He's going to signify to us what, what Jesus showed him, what the angel showed him. And so it's sign language. The book of Revelation is sign language. It's symbolism. There's lots of symbols to, to make a point. And so we have whole types of literature that use figures of speech. And so the original context affects the language and the type of literature and all that. So we've got to understand that. And, and while we're talking about genres, different types of literature, one of the things we need to acknowledge about the Bible that's, uh, that makes it challenging at times is just narrative, like narrative text, texts that just tell history and tell the stories from ancient history. Like the book of Acts, for example, that's a narrative text. It's just telling history about what God did in and through the apostles. The gospels are narrative texts, although they have some teaching thrown into them that kind of help us resonate with them a little bit more. Or think of all the history books of the Old Testament. That's narrative text. And in reality, about 60 to 65 percent of the Bible is just narrative, just telling a story about what happened to other people. And and since it's history, man, it's, it's not as immediately applicable to us. Like, what do we do with that? It's not like uh, the letters of the New Testament written to Christians telling us how to live our Christian life. It's just telling stories about what happened to various people living in the Old Testament or uh, people in the book of Acts. How do we actually Apply that to our life. How's that supposed to change our life? It's narrative text. And while we're on that, just let me just give you a little bit of guidance on that. Like, for example, this is what you don't do. Okay, here's an example of what not to do with a narrative text. I was listening to a fairly well-known preacher one time, um, and this was a, a few decades ago. So I was listening to him on the radio, and he was preaching a sermon about the well-known story of David and Goliath. And um, in the story, right, Goliath keeps coming out and challenging the Israelites over a period of weeks. And as the weeks and days go by, Goliath is moving further and further up the Israel battle, uh, 
the hillside towards the Israelite army. So he's he's moving further and further up. This preacher trying to make an application out of that said, isn't that just how sin works in your life? That if you let it hang around a little bit longer, it just takes over more and more ground in your life. And that point may be spiritually true. That's just not what the story of David and Goliath is about. Goliath does not represent sin. This is not an allegory or an analogy for sin. This is about Israel and the Philistines, and a real battle, and a real warrior champion named Goliath, and Goliath doesn't represent sin in your life. You just don't allegorize Old Testament narrative in order to make it apply to your life. Or I listened to another preacher one time preaching out of Acts 27. Acts 27 tells the story of Paul's sea voyage and then shipwreck when he's being transferred to Rome as a prisoner. And this particular preacher, as he told the story, began to describe in detail, you know, the, the great storm on the Mediterranean Sea when they're out there sailing to Rome, and how as the storm went on, um, all the, the crew of the ship began to offload the cargo and throw it overboard to lighten the ship. And then the preacher said, and that's what we should do when we face storms in our life, is life gets crazy and we need to get rid of all the excess activity and all the excess stuff in our life, throw it overboard so we can just focus on God. Maybe that's good advice. Maybe it's not. Not totally sure, but that's certainly not what Acts 27 is about. Acts 27 is about a real storm on a real sea. It's not about a metaphorical storm in your life. So what do we do with that, right? But that that's what happens when we take like the original context of scripture and we're like, man, this somehow has to apply to my life. This has to have a message for me. So I, I got to figure out how to apply it to my life, and we try to personalize everything. And that's just not what you do with the narrative text of the Bible. So 60% of your Bible is narrative text. How do you handle it responsibly? What do you do with it? And primarily what you do is you read it as history. And then you ask this question, what does it show me about God? What does it show me about God's interaction with the world and what God cares about and how God works with people. What does it show me about God? And then you ask, what does it show me about God's relationship with people and how God works with people and how that relationship between God and people changes things? That's what we do is we let the, these stories shape our understanding of God and God's values and God's relationship with people and where that where God is taking people and all that. So back to Acts 27, real ship real storm, real sea, read that story and say, well, what do we learn about God and God's relationship with people? And what we see, for example, in that story is here in the midst of the storm, this must be a, a ferocious storm. The sailors are so afraid of the storm, they're actually going to try to escape the the. Uh, Roman military, who's there guarding Paul, actually forces them to get rid of the lifeboat because they're going to try to use it to escape. So this is a bad storm. In the midst of all that, at some point, God appears to Paul and tells him, look, don't be afraid. You're going to make it to Rome. And so then Paul, he stands up in the midst of all this chaos and he tells people, look, you guys need to understand that I am going to testify in Rome. God has assured me. I believe God, Paul says, in the midst of that storm. And here's one of the things we see is that Paul's confidence and trust in God gives him the courage to kind of take control of a situation, even though he's a prisoner. Even though he's a prisoner and he's on this ship and he's not bemoaning his plight, he's trusting God and he's trusting that God will get his purposes done. 
I'll tell you what, that applies to our life regardless of where we're at. In good times or bad times, do we have the same sort of confidence in God that Paul demonstrates on the ship? And when people have that kind of confidence, it changes their relationship to their circumstances. It changes their relationship to the people around them. And that's more the message of that text for us, I think, than some sort of uh, advice about a metaphorical storm in your life and you need to offload all the cargo and the excess in your life, right? And so how does this, what does this show us about God? And what does this show us about our relationship with God and God's relationship with people? And, and how does this story fit into the big story of Scripture and God's purposes of redemption and all of that and God bringing his kingdom into this world? That's primarily how we handle narrative text. And so as we read the Bible, one of the things that makes the Bible so difficult is just the general foreignness of the Bible. And that's because the Bible wasn't originally written to us or originally written about us. But nevertheless, it was written for us to shape our worldview, to shape our understanding of who God is, to show us what God's doing in this world, and to help us to live in partnership with God. And so we, we, we struggle. We struggle sometimes with uh, the Bible because we don't know that culture. We don't know their customs. We don't know the geography. We we're not sure how their literature intended to work and what it was intending to communicate. And so we're going to have to do a little bit of work. We struggle with the Bible because we read it through the lens of our own culture, my culture being um, the United States of America and the culture here in this time and this place in history. And, and I have certain lenses that when I read the text of the Bible, I see it through those lenses. And I, I have to remember, I've got to be culturally sensitive and respect the Bible and listen to it as if I'm in a foreign culture. And it's like, okay, I need to try to understand what's going on in this culture and see things in that culture and then understand what God is saying into that culture. And then how does that speak to my life? And again, I've got a lot more detail on how to do all that and even some tips and tools and resources that will help us do that. Uh, on my website at my Learn the Word course, if you want to check out that course, I've got a lot more details. But um, that hopefully gives you at least some understanding of why we struggle with the Bible and what to do about it. We, we just need to enter in and be willing to say, okay, I've got to do a little bit of historical research when I come to spots that just make me scratch my head. I don't understand. I'm not totally sure what's going on. Hmm. I'm guessing there's probably some sort of original context issue here. And with our modern research abilities because of the internet, man, we can find out a lot on there. We've got to be careful and we got to weigh our sources and we got to uh, think carefully about that but just having that lens okay there's an a, there's a cultural context there's an original context that I need to understand and the more we're willing to uh, to step back and try to at least be culturally sensitive um, to the foreignness of the Bible it'll help us respect the Bible more it'll help us to hear the Bible better and we will be able to learn its message for us a whole lot more that way Hope that's helpful to you as we, we wrestle with just some of these difficulties in the Bible. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to all of you who are patrons of this podcast over on my Patreon page. If you want to support this show so that it can continue to grow and support this ministry, then swing over to my Patreon page and you can become a patron of the Bible and Life podcast and get a few extra perks by doing that as well. So. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week as you walk with God. I look forward to talking to you again soon.